it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio once again for another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Today, Tuesday, um, it's September 20, 29th, almost October. It'll probably be the last podcast of the month. Um, joined once again by none other than Kobe Horton. Kobe, say what's up to everybody. What's going on, everybody? Good to, good to be back on here and go into some NBA talk and some college football and so, so stoked for uh, football to be back and excited to get into the action today. Oh, yeah. It was great to have the SEC finally back in play. So, we got lots of good storylines looming from uh, finally a great weekend of college football. Finally had some ranked matchups. We weren't watching Oklahoma play North Dakota State or, I mean, play Missouri State and teams like that anymore. So, nice to see all how all that played out. But, you know, we got to start things off with the NBA, man. We got the NBA Finals on tomorrow, and we just finished up two big series. I mean, Kobe, what was your biggest takeaway from watching this Miami series and the and the Lakers and Nuggets series? Um, I guess I'll start off with the Miami series. I, I mean, I didn't expect this, but I, I was definitely, you know, thinking that Miami was going to make a run, especially with all the all the weird stuff going on with this season, the COVID restrictions, the bubble. Um, but I was very impressed with how Miami came out and and took that series away from Boston. They just outperformed them basically. Um, I know we kind of talked about the Celtics big three um, earlier on one of our podcast um, a couple weeks ago before the series started. We talked about how good Tatum, Kimba, and uh, Jalen Brown were going to be. And to be honest, it was like almost every game a Heat uh, player outperformed each one of them in their best player Tatum. So. And game six, we saw him out of bio. So I was just really impressed with Miami because it always seemed like one person would step up no matter who it was. And there was five or six different guys who did it. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to – I agree with you completely. Somebody definitely stepped up, like especially that Tyler Hero game in game four. He took that game over for him and finished him off down the stretch. I mean, that was crazy just to see how all that played out. But honestly, I liked how Spolcher kind of shortened up his bench. You know, the Miami had been big about – you know, playing with uh within their squad. You know, they had so many guys. They were a deep team. They played so many different guys all season long and even in the playoffs. But they kind of shortened up the bench. But honestly, I think Goran Dragic really broke through in the playoffs. I mean, I felt like his scoring, especially when they came back on the Celtics in games one and two. I mean, the Celtics through the first three games of that series led them for 79 minutes and somehow went one and two in those games. I mean, Dragic was relentless scoring the ball. Bam had a massive mismatch, and honestly, he made Tice look undersized in there. And he I mean he kind of exposed Tice for what he was. I thought Bam did a great job taking it to him. But the bit one of the biggest things has been Jay Crowder in the bubble. Man, he's shooting forty three percent from three as opposed to twenty nine percent when he was in Memphis. I mean, it just feels like Miami's the best at getting everything out of everybody as much as they can. Oh yeah, for sure. Um... I really like what you said about Drogic in games one and two. He really, he really performed. And you know, Hero game four performance with thirty-seven points. You, you can't, you don't really expect those kind of things out of a rookie coming in in his first playoff series or first Eastern Conference Finals um, series, excuse me. And you know, has that kind of game. You know, you can't really expect that. But I think that, like you said, Spolstra and this organization in Miami has just made them, made the players just kind of up their performance and get the best out of themselves. And if you're looking at things from Boston's perspective, I think you got to look at the fact that when the game came down to the wire in the fourth quarter, whether or not they had a lead or not, they kind of choked. Even against the Raptors in the Eastern Conference semifinals, they, have, they could have honestly swept the Raptors if they close out those games. 
They let the Raptors hang around, you know. I think that series should have been done in five or six for in the Celtics' favor, but they let that go to seven. Um, that's just me personally. I think that they could have done better in the, at the end of games. And I think it really showed in the Miami series as well because the end of games, they they like you said, they led for 78 minutes in those first couple of games, and, and they couldn't put team, Miami away. Yeah, I mean, I thought Spolster really outcoached Brad Stevens throughout the whole series with his second-half adjustments he kept making. Um, you know, obviously I disagree with you on that, what you said about Toronto series, but you know, I really just feel like Boston, I mean, I don't want to take away from what the Miami did in that series. Cause I mean, they clearly outcoached them and outplayed them, but I really feel like Boston kind of blew that series at the same time. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Miami didn't deserve to win the series or anything, but I mean, when you just look at it, man, you run for 79 freaking minutes. And then when you look at game four, I mean, Tyler Hero plays the game of his life. I don't think Brown and Tatum could have played any worse in that game four they lost. I mean, it just felt like that. It really just felt like that it just kept on being the perfect scenario every single time for Miami. But, I mean, that's because of the situations they put themselves in. So, I can't sit here and take away from them with that. But, on the flip side of things, with this Nuggets-Lakers series, I mean, honestly, you just got to applaud Denver, man, for the fact they kept coming at them. Nobody gave them a single chance in that series. And they made all those games besides game one close and down to the wire you know I really feel like Jamal Murray I mean and just to talk it's kind of a funny way of putting things let's put it this way Jamal Murray took his 2k rating from like an 84 to a 92 in my opinion from the way he played in this series I think Jamal Murray moved himself up from probably like a top 40 player in the league all the way down to the top 20 players even top 15 with how good he was in that series Oh, yeah, I was not expecting Jamal Murray to go off like he did in the playoffs. In, in t- like, he first round, he did against the Jazz. Second round, you see him lead the comeback, the 3-1 comeback against the Clippers, who nobody thought would happen to. And then in, against the Lakers, he still puts up these great numbers, you know, comes up short against LeBron, who's one of the best players. But, um, you know, you got to you gotta applaud Denver's for performance against the Lakers um they they put up a fight you know they weren't supposed to be there and they're a young a very young squad so you know they a couple different things go their way in that series against the Lakers they it, they could have won another game or two um but you know I think LeBron Anthony Davis are too powerful right now and I think you know, give this Nuggets team a little bit of time and, and they're going to be in the finals in a few years, maybe next year. Yeah, no, I mean, the Nuggets are coming and they're going to get Millsap off the books here soon. So, you know, I think that with spearing up all that salary cap and everything, obviously Grant's probably, I mean, Grant opted out. I mean, they could use that money to resign him and sign somebody else. But, I mean, the Nuggets have got options, man. And they're going to be coming from year and year. I mean, it's going to be crazy to see even how these young guys keep getting better, like Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull. I mean, Jokic and Murray are here, and they just need the rest of the supporting cast to help pick it up for them. And to think they didn't even have their best wing scorer in Will Barton the entire time they were in the bubble. I mean, just crazy things to think about right there for Denver and how well they played. Um, let's, I say we get down to business here, man. What's going to happen in these NBA Finals, Kobe? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think you're going to call me crazy, but I think Miami is going to make this a series. And I think that this if this series, it depends. It depends on what happens early on in the series. I think if the Lakers get up 2-0, um, Miami is going to struggle to get past five games. But if I think I think if Miami takes one of these first two games, that this series is going to go to six or seven. And um, I think that I think in my opinion, my my final prediction is going to be Lakers and six. But 
I think the Heat are going to make this a series, and it's going to be a hard pass for LeBron just because of how well this Heat team is playing. I've I counted them out a little bit last last series. You know, I had them going far to the finals, but the Eastern Conference Finals, excuse me. But I think they can put up a little bit of fight. I think they have a little mojo, and they have some some swagger, different swagger about them, and I think that they can put up a a, a fight against LeBron and win a few games. Look, I think the Heat are going to win one game. I'm not going to sit here and say I think this series will be a blowout. I think it's, we're going to get a very similar series to what we saw last series against uh, against Denver. I think they'll hang around. I think they'll be petty. But I think at the end of the game, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to be too much for them. I mean, when I look at De- at the Miami's team, I mean, yeah, Jimmy Butler's in that top 15 in players. But, I mean, they don't have anybody who can mess around with LeBron and Davis. I really feel like Bam's not going to have it as easy either. I mean, the Celtics don't have good big men. I mean, it's literally Tice. And his cancer is probably one of the worst defensive big men in the entire NBA. That's always been his knock because he plays zero defense. I mean, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, and Anthony Davis are not going to make it easy at all for Bam in the paint. He's going to have to go down there and bang with them. You know, they've got the defensive wings too. It's pretty much just going to be LeBron. I mean, Butler is going to be on LeBron, but... I think LeBron's too big for him, and he's going to put himself in situations where he can use his size and everything. Besides, LeBron had experience going up against Jimmy Butler when he was back in Chicago, and he took him he took him down. So I don't see any difference here in this one. I personally think it's going to go five games. I think all pretty much every single game will be within you know four, five, six points. I don't think they'll be blowouts. I think it'll be a hell of a series to watch. I just think Lakers are on a mission, man, and they're ready to sit here and finish it off. Yeah, I I, I like the Lakers a lot. I think they're the, probably the most talented team, but I just, to me personally, I think this Miami team, they just make some some magical shots at the end of games. Leading up to the end of the game, with under six, five or six minutes left to play, it's almost like Tyler Hero gets another amp of energy, you know, bam, out of someone takes over almost every time. And I know it's going to be really hard against LeBron and Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee and those wing defenders like you say, but there's just something about this momentum that Miami has, and I think that they're feeling like kind of like a Cinderella team in an NCAA March Madness tournament, you know. Um, so I think that they, if the ball is rolling their way and they're making some of these shots, these crazy, I mean, the shots that they're making are not, they're not easy shots. I think that Duncan Robinson and Hero, Butler, Adebayo are making some tough shots against some really good teams. So I think that they're going to put up a little bit more of a fight, but. I can see why most people are going to say the Lakers. So it's, I think it's really going to be a good series either way. So it just depends on what happens in those crunch time moments in the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I mean, from the way Miami played, you know, they can handle those crunch time moments in the fourth quarter. I just feel like, though, that the Lakers, you know, like LeBron and Davis just – the thing is in the NBA, like no team really has like – a a grouping of two players that can match up like LeBron and Davis, you know, I just feel like it's going to be too much for the heat to handle. And I feel like that they have, I mean, it just gives them such an advantage. I mean, Davis, I thought he had a rolled ankle going in the end of that series. He looked perfectly fine that last game. And I think LeBron smells blood in the water. You know, this is his mission. He even posted that picture on Instagram. That scares me even more if I'm a Miami fan. I agree with you. I mean, Miami by no means is going to lay down. I mean, this is a tough-nosed basketball team. I mean, if anybody knows how to stop LeBron, it's going to be his former coach, Eric Spolstra. I mean, Spolstra has experience, too, going up from Vogel when he was in Indiana. I mean, I think that he, they're going to have a great game plan. But at the end of the day, you know, it's LeBron freaking James. It's going to be – it's always tough to take him down. Always tough to take him down. Um, it's going to be interesting. He, You know, I if you're a LeBron fan and you like him and – want him to move up in the talk i think this is a 
honestly a necessary ring he has to win this year i know people are gonna look at the circumstances but if you lose to this miami heat team led by jimmy butler and a bunch of rookies that's people are gonna have that argument for years on end mm-hmm. to come you can always lean towards mj if lebron loses this this final so he hey, well, look, for his let me legacy ask you this if miami were to win this series who do you think would have to be the x factor to take him there the x factor for miami mm-hmm I think it's got to be out of bio to me. Um, I think, you know, just because of what you said earlier, especially mm-hmm. about how the those big guys bang for their butt down there. You got LeBron, you got Anthony Davis, and you got JaVale McGee, these huge guys. Dwight Howard, if you have to throw him in there. Um, if he, he's got to go up against those monsters, and he's got to be able to produce some, some type of offense, some type of rebounding production down low if Miami wants to be successful because – I think we're going to see a normal Jimmy Butler and play very well. Um, and I think that Tyler Hero and Goran Drogic and guys like that, Duncan Robinson, are going to you know, hold their end of the bargain and hopefully score more than 15 or so points. But I like Adebayo to be the X factor, and I think he's got to go off for them to have a upset in the Lakers. <clears throat> yeah, I actually agree with you on that one. I think that Adebayo has to be the X factor because you know, he's got to bang with the big boys down in the paint. I really feel like it's going to be that, and you got to have Tyler Hero hit those long balls like he did in that last game. I mean, if they can shoot the three ball like that, I mean, that's what Miami does, though, shoot that three ball. But they're going to have to have Bam Bang in the paint because I really feel after him, you know, Olenek will get abused down there with the big boys. So it's going to have to be him. But, hey, you know, it's going to be a fun series to watch. Um, this is a perfect segue, though, into our next topic. And this is the team that everyone thought was going to get there and didn't make it. Even I did. The Los Angeles Clippers, they fired and them in, or they didn't fire, but they had a mutual parting of ways with head coach Doc Rivers. Um, you know, I'll let you go first on this one because I think I actually have a pretty strong opinion on this one. I want to I want to hear what you have to say on this one. This one's tough for me because I can see you going either way, and I know especially if you're a Clippers fan, you're probably really passionate about this. Um, but I think. To me, you have to give Doc Rivers one more year. Um, and I know people are probably calling me crazy and I'm getting a bunch of hate for this, but I think you have one year with two superstars. You know, your team your team from last year is completely different. Um, the Clippers over they you know, they overperformed last year to me in the playoffs by winning two games. Was that that was last year, correct, when they won two games against Golden State in the first round? Um uh, yeah. And they, 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 yeah, because they were hassling KD, but then KD was too much for them in the first round. But they ended up winning two games against that Golden State team last year. And I thought they overperformed, so everybody was kind of looking at Doc and him. And then this year, you know, everyone's expecting the Clippers to go to the finals because they have, you know, Kawhi Leonard, who just came off a, a championship run, and you had Paul George to a team that just had a bunch of guys who are scrappy, can put up a fight against the Warriors in the playoffs previous year. Um, and I think just one year having those guys, and I think the chemistry was a little off to me in this. So I, I don't think you can put all fingers at Doc Rivers for this because you can't game seven against the Nuggets. You cannot have Kawhi Leonard have 10 points and Paul George have 11. You can't, as a coach, there's nothing you can do for those guys to shoot like that and not play good because Kawhi, one, never did that with Toronto in the playoffs last year. I know he might have, you know, I don't know what it was, but this year he was not as clutch as everybody made him out to be, as Max Kellerman did, I would say. 
Um, but that's my side of the story. Um, I think that they gave him another year at least to, to prove, especially in a, a year like this with the pandemics going on. So, Yeah, you know, I'm, on, I'm completely different on this one. Look, I personally think Doc Rivers is one of the most overrated coaches of all time and in the NBA. I mean, look at these teams he was handed. When he was in Boston, he had these absolutely stacked teams, and he only managed to get one NBA championship out of it. He went to two finals and won one championship out of it. Then you go and look what he did with the Clippers. All he's done with the Clippers is blown two 3-1 leads in the second round and not even been able to get past it. I mean, he's been handed so much talent. He had Blake Griffin when he was a top-10 player in the league and Chris Paul. I mean, DeAndre Jordan, uh, J.J. Redick, Chauncey Billups. You know, I don't need to sit here and name off all the talent that's walked through those doors for the Clippers. He's been handed some of the most talented teams in the league and done absolutely nothing with them. I think it's absolutely the right move, and it's his fault. His team's lost his team's lost focus. That's your job as the coach to re-get your team's focus and get them re-engaged. I mean, they had every single chance to eliminate Denver and send them home, and they couldn't do it a single one of those times. I think that all comes back on him. You can't point out what happened in Game 7 and sit here and say, I mean, I agree with you, Kawhi's got to play better, and that's not his fault for how Kawhi played in that, but it should have never come down to Game 7. They should have been done with him in five or six games. I mean, I thought Doc Rivers is, in general has done a horrible job as an NBA head coach. I think he's been handed so much more talent. I've seen so many coaches do so much more with so much I mean, look what Coach Bud does every single year with so much less talent. I mean, even look what Eric Spolstra does with less talent. Doc Rivers ain't even close to any of those guys. He would never coach my basketball team for me. I think Doc Rivers is one of the most overrated coaches in NBA history. Well, see, there, you, you know, you say what Coach Bud does with his talent, but he got one of the players in the NBA, and he gets put out in the second round and never goes anywhere in the playoffs, it seems like. So, I mean, you could look at him and say, oh, Coach Bud could be on the hot seat because he couldn't get the Heat or the Bucks past a, a Heat team that's not, I mean, who's good, has had a great run, but the Bucks were supposed to win that series, and I don't think anybody I just. But. You know, when it comes to, to Doc, I I think that when all that stuff happened with the shooting that the players were rallying behind and they canceled the games, the Clippers voted to not play the rest of the season. They were one of the only teams that did that. Um, I don't know. I don't know too much because I was in the meeting I, or I don't really know anybody that, you know, said too much about it. You might. Um, but I don't think that Doc Rivers had, you know, much of a say in saying, or he, he basically, he didn't tell his players to vote, Hey, let's end the season. I mean, I'm pretty sure from what I've seen and read that doc rivers stood in front of all the players and was trying to get them to, you know, rally around and play. And, you know, you can't help your team, you know, that's, I feel like that comes down to leadership in general. I think that one of the things my basketball coach always told me in high school is that the best teams are player led and I think you see that with LeBron James's team all the time. That's why they always get to the finals. Doesn't really matter what coach he has. You know, Vogel. People wanted Vogel's head in in round one, the first game after they lost to the Trailblazers because he wasn't playing J.R. Smith and and uh, the other guys. So um, I just think that you know people sometimes don't look at the player necessarily and always want to put on the coach. So I, I, that's that's me. And I know that Doc Rivers has had a, a tough history and has has had a hell of a lot of talent um, with his teams. But, you know, I think now you have to look at it as a Clippers fan is, okay, who do you want to hire? Who, who's the who's the best solution now? And now you have a new coach with a new scheme coming in with the same team who has no chemistry and no gel. 
and you're going to have to hire somebody. So what do you do now if you're a Clippers? If you're the if you're Balmer, what do you do? You know, if you're the Clippers, I mean, I honestly haven't thought that far ahead yet at who you hire as your next head coach. But I will say this. I actually really like that point you made about there needs to be a player-led team. And that's why Kawhi Leonard would never be the leader of my basketball team because he takes nights off and he's not vocal and he hides behind things. I mean, I don't think we came for Kawhi's head enough for how they perform. But, I mean, at the end of the day – after the team agreed to come back, they still blew a 3-1 to one lead regardless if they were all in it or not. They were able to get up 3-1. I mean, I think that's unforgivable, the fact that he blew two 3-1 leads, and especially the way they blew that one of the Nuggets. I mean, they were up by 20 points in both the games, and it was like they just checked out and quit playing. I mean, I thought I mean, I thought it was piss poor. I mean, I absolutely can't deal with it, but hey, it is yeah, what it is. Really, I'm, I, I agree with you in that way. There was definitely some, some blame, a lot of blame that could have gone on Doc Rivers, and I think either way you look at it, yeah, Kawhi Leonard, I want my 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 leader to be more vocal, not take nights off, you know. Um, you see LeBron after 17. I don't – he didn't take off that many nights this year. Um, not as much as Kawhi, I would say. You'd have to go look at the numbers. But I think that, you know, a lot goes behind that and being player-led. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I just – I'm interested to see how the Clippers will move forward and – they will do because you got a team whose chemistry is not very hot. You know, I mean, I'm hearing all this stuff about Paul George trying to come into the locker room and tell the guys that, hey, you know, I'm ready. I'm in this till for the long run. You know, next year we're going to have a championship run. And I heard that players were kind of just giving him the side eye, not really listening to him. And that that's right there is, I don't know. I just feel like that's not really a good team chemistry to me. So, there's obviously some other issues going around. I guess players are probably very upset after that loss. But, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the Clippers do. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a lot of question marks coming for the Clippers. But, hey, trust me, we'll have a whole offseason podcast to break down all that stuff. Um, one last offseason thing I want to discuss here real quick is, do you think Victor Oladipo choosing to opt out with the set, with the Pacers and hit the free agent market, do you think he's the best available free agent at this point? Um. All things considered, yeah, I, I, I think he is. Um, you know, he he's coming off of a really hard injury, and it's, it's going to be tough for him to get back to where he was. But I think he will if he gets the right group of guys to play around. Um, he could He's definitely some somebody that I would want on my team, a Hawks fan. I would I would take Victor Oladipu for sure. Um, Absolutely. You, you put him with Trey Young and John Collins, and you got a little something cooking maybe in Atlanta. So, um, you know, that's just the, my Atlanta fan coming out of me right there. I don't know if that would ever happen. But, yeah, I think he's someone He's someone that teams are going to be definitely keeping an eye out on for the market. And it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams in on him. I already saw like seven or eight teams have already said they're going to try to reach out to him. But, you know, I agree with you. I think for Atlanta or for really any team that he's the kind of guy you want, not only because of what he can do on offense, because of that defense and that athleticism he brings. You know, I feel, I feel like Depot, like he seems to be a decent leader. Like he seems to be a good guy. Like you never really hear bad things about him. And you can tell, too, that he worked hard. I mean, he came in the NBA and he didn't really have a jump shot. And he took his game up to that next level and got to that – all-star caliber player you know when he first came in he was a high draft pick and didn't really pan out the way we thought he would I mean the Magic traded him for basically nothing I mean honestly that was one of the worst trades I've ever seen trade the Magic made with him but he ended up panning out and look where he's at now so you know I think he's 150% the best free agent in this class I mean it's a pretty weak free agency class but I think he's one of the only guys I'm not gonna lie though 
I think Depot might be going into Miami, man. I think him and Butler would just think about that defensive front right there with him and Butler, man. That would so my two destinations that I thought about him going to are actually I had Miami as one of them. Um, I thought that would be awesome to see, especially if Miami comes up short this year. Mm-hmm. Oladipo over that edge, and my other team was I think if Giannis is staying in Milwaukee, he would love to have Oladipo on his oh, yeah. team. Um, and I don't think Oladipo. If I'm him, I don't necessarily want to go to the West and have to go through LeBron and you know. Mm-hmm. Nuggets, the Blazers, everybody over there. Um, um, I think he's going to want to stay in the East. So I think those are my two top destination uh, spots for Oladipo. And interested to see where he goes, but those would, two locations would be cool for me to see. Yeah, no, I actually – I honestly like both those, and I was kind of in agreement with you on them. I mean, the Bucks will have to flip around a little bit of the roster and everything. I don't know necessarily if he wants to go to Milwaukee, but I think he fits great in either or those two spots right there. Well – I think we set our fill on the NBA. Now it's time to discuss a little bit of what we saw on Saturday. We finally had the SEC back. I mean, it felt good, you know what I mean, to see those ranked matchups finally pop up. Like, I remember when I was looking through it, I was like, thank God we actually have some ranked matchups this week. I mean, we've been the games we've been watching for this have not been great, but I would take what I can get. But honestly, I think this is the most – probably the most – crazy stat line of the entire season KJ Costello transfers to Mississippi State from Stanford and comes out and throws for 623 yards in his first game I mean do you think Mike Leach is gonna be able to translate this offense like this into the SEC all season long or do you think it was just kind of a caught him off guard week one type thing um I actually have a lot to say about this because I think that everyone is really jumping on the Mike Leach train in Mississippi State, um, which I think is fair enough because you have a guy, a quarterback, transferring in first-year offense, first-year head coach in F- in the SEC, and you have a wrecking, record-breaking performance, SEC quarterback performance, um, 623 passing yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions against the defending national champions. Um, that's ridiculous. You don't ever see that. Um, nobody's expecting that to happen, especially to LSU and what LSU did to teams last year. Um, but on the flip side of things, I think that you got to consider about who LSU is missing and how many different players they have. This LSU team's a completely different team. Um, you got guys opting out left and right. Your best receiver opted out, Jamar Chase. You actually lost 31 players from the roster last year. So it's basically replacing a whole new team. You know, you got 20 of those guys drafted to the NFL. So that team last year was ridiculously stacked. But it's going to be a completely different scenario here in LSU this year because you got to think no Burrow, no Clyde Edwards Hilaire, no Jefferson, no Jamar Chase, no Joe Brady. Um, So I just think people might be jumping all over Mississippi State a little right now. Um, But I think LSU this year is going to have three or four losses and struggle in the SEC West. Yeah, you know, LSU already had a lot of guys um, opt out because of COVID. I know they did get that D-tackle back. But be honest with you, I had Mississippi State plus 17 on Saturday, and I was expecting Mississippi State to win this game. I I wasn't necessarily expecting them to win straight up, but I was expecting them to put points up on them. I mean, they also lost Dave Aranda to Baylor, their defensive coordinator. So, you know, the LSU, I mean, literally this entire team pretty much got drafted in the first round, and if they didn't, they're like Jamar Chase who sat out for the season, you know. So I feel like LSU just lost so much. So – if anything, I think Mississippi State just got lucky and had a great first round, their great first week matchup. I mean, 
I do think this offense will be good, but in the long run, I mean, I don't think Mississippi State's more than an average SEC team. I think Leach, once he gets his players in there a couple more times in a row, might be able to build a little bit more. But to be honest with you, I don't think Mississippi State's any kind of crazy contender. You know, I honestly wouldn't be shocked at all to see him turn around and lose this week. I'm not sure they have this week, but I feel like it's kind of the classic, you know, you come out and play a little bit over your head the first week. Nobody has any film or anything. So I think it was just perfect time, perfect situation, everything. But I'd be shocked if Costello threw for any kind of stat number, even relatively close to that again this season. Uh, yeah, um, I, I actually – they play Arkansas this week, this Saturday, so I think they're going to actually win. But I get what you were saying because if they were playing anybody else, they could be up in the air. Basically, you know, if you have an offensive stellar, which I think Mike Leach is going to come in and be able to have a, a good offense in the SEC, um, you know, you got to think about who – these games in the SEC, they're going to be up in the air consistently. SEC talent week in and week out. You got to be able to play some defense, and that's why I'm looking at their defensive coordinator, um, Zach Arnett. He's a he was the defensive coordinator at San Diego State for the past nine years, and he had a good defense there. Um, so I think if he can translate some of his uh, scheme from the the Aztec de- defense to the Mississippi State defensive uh, program, um, I think that. He can he can really get things going in the SEC, and they could be a force to be reckoned with because his defenses in San Diego State actually were top ten in scoring defense, um, interceptions, total yards, and I, I believe it was sacks as well. No, it was rushing defense. So they were top okay. ten in all those categories. Um, that's to me, if he can get some players in that he fit his scheme, they could be they could be a force to be reckoned with because Mike Leach is going to bring in some offensive talent. I think. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you on that. I definitely think things are looking up for Leach in the SEC. I thought it was kind of a great, like, premiere for him, you know what I mean? I just think that this year probably won't be that year quite yet for him. But, no, I completely agree with you. I think Leach, and, I think Leach is going to have a good run in the SEC. I think he's going to do better than Kiffin will in the SEC. Um, next topic, I know we had our UGA topic, but I'm actually going to flip back to this since it flows perfectly with this one. Do you think LSU is going to be a disaster this year? Um. Well, yeah, I, I don't – what do you, what do you define as disaster? What what do you think that is? Losing record. Um, I don't think they're gonna have a losing record. I think it's gonna be it could be close though. I think they could end up six and four. You got to think about who they have to play, especially on the east side of things. I know they play Vandy this week, um, so they should take care of business there. But they got Florida to contend with too. That could that could easily be an L. And you, they got also got to play Auburn, Alabama, A and M. Um, Ole Miss, that could be a toss-up because Ole Miss has got that high-powered offense um, out there in Oxford. But I think that they're going to end up with a, like a 6-4 and four or 5-5 or five and five type record. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think that, you know, there's going to be some grace granted towards Coach O because he just came off a natty run, you know, whole different offense basically, whole different team, you know. I think that it's going to be – it's going to be interesting, but I think they're going to end up being a little worse than people think. Yeah, I don't think any any wrath's going to come down on Coach O or anything if they bomb this season. I mean, obviously they'll win next week against Vandy, but they still have to play at Florida, at Auburn. I mean, they get Alabama at home, but I don't think that changes anything for them. At Texas A&M and Ole Miss, the last game of the season, a rivalry game. You know, I wouldn't be shocked at all if LSU ends up ends up going. Um, 
ends up having a losing record this year. But, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world and Coach O will see any, like, wrath or anything. You know, it's, it's a weird season, man, and I don't think anybody's going to be freaking out about it. I mean, Coach O brought them that national championship and brought them success they haven't had in so long. Um, I personally think that the, he his job's safe for a, for a long time coming. But, you know, LSU, I, I predicted them to take a step back. So, you know, I, I pretty much think that they pretty much just ensured what I already thought. I didn't expect Mississippi State to beat them, but I expected Mississippi State to keep that game down to the wire at the end. Yeah, it was it was impressive what Mississippi State did. And I think, yeah, you got to look at it as it is kind of this year. It's a weird year. You know, there's no <laughs> – there wasn't, you know, 100,000 people there in, in Death Valley. It wasn't like a normal, normal game, you know. Could, it could have been completely different had – that whole stadium been filled, you that know, hundred percent. You gotta, you gotta think about things like that too. You know, would Mississippi State's offense have moved the ball like that against a crowd noise that's one of the highest in the nation? You know, fits that stadium fits one of the most in the in the whole nation. So, um, that's something else you gotta consider. But yeah, I think that you know, Mississippi State could could be. I think Mississippi State will end up higher in the SEC West than LSU. Um, I don't know what your opinion is on I that, agree. but. I, I think Mississippi State could end up third, maybe maybe second. That's crazy, but third, third, fourth, I would say. Um, and that, I think that's going to finish in the SEC West, and LSU would be behind them. Yeah, I, I, I you won't get any pushback from me on that one. I think that's a good take. Um, I know this is your squad right here, so we got to put them on here. They got JT Daniels back at quarterback. The UGA UGA he was cleared yesterday. Do you think this is going to be the shot in the arm Georgia needs to get this offense up and running, or do you think it might be another rough outing for the Dogs' offense, and do you think that he's going to be able to get the offense going the way they need it for the rest of the season? This is just – it's so hard for me to say because I'm a Georgia fan, and it's so up in the air. And, and really, Kirby, you know, which I think this is a great thing to do as a coach, is not really saying much to the media about it. Um, it's been a really weird situation in Athens ever since Newman opted out. Um, cause I thought Newman was clear as day. Number one, I think it's weird that he opted out, especially considering what happened on Saturday and the offense looking mm-hmm. the first half, you know, there's no way Newman was worse than any, either one of those guys that went out there. Um, I, and I, I do want to say one thing that I, I was really pleased with Stetson Bennett's performance against Arkansas to come in there, you know, when you're struggling, you're down seven to five against Arkansas, and you have a guy come in, a JUCO transfer, throw twenty to twenty nine, two hundred nine yards and two touchdowns, and get the offense in a little bit. You got to give him respect because I a lot of people are saying he played bad, but in reality, he he was the th- the person who got the offense moving. You know, granted, I don't know if he could be able to do those things against the the you know better talent in the SEC, the Auburns, the the Alabamas. The Florida's um so that's gonna be interesting to see. But with JT Daniels, I, I it's gonna be interesting to see because I think um, realistically, I, I think my hunch as a Georgian is that JT Daniels could have played Saturday if he really needed to. Um, Kirby didn't ever he he was saying he we don't know if he's medically cleared. He was being very weird about it. And I think if that game would have came down to the wire, he would have they would have thrown in JT Daniels because why did he dress out? Well, there's no reason for him to dress out. Um, now he's cleared, you know, out of nowhere week two, right before game, one of the biggest games of the year. So I think that, you know, that was just to see if we could get Dewan Mathis going. And I think Daniels is going to come in and he's going to he's gonna get some time this Saturday. So it's just going to be interesting to see. 
Yeah, I thought Mathis was absolutely awful. I was, was about. I'm not gonna lie. I was expecting him to be bad, but I wasn't expecting him to be that bad. Um, I actually think G JT Dan is the real deal. I watched him play a ton when he's at USC. I mean, he's athletic. He can throw the ball. He can make all kinds of plays out there on the field. I actually think that JT Daniels might be the answer for UGA quarterback. I just have one problem with him playing this week. He hadn't played in over a year. I feel like last week would have been the week to throw him out there. Obviously, he wasn't cleared yet because of that knee, but I think Georgia, if they're expecting to win this game, I think it's just a bad time for Daniels to be thrown in the fire. I thought Auburn looked really good, and I think Bo Nix personally is the best quarterback in the SEC. So I think Daniels will be the answer at quarterback. I just think it's a bad time right now for UGA and everything. I'm not going to lie. I think the dogs might be going down this week. Oh, come on. Come on. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Now we got, now we got a problem because, first off, first off, you said Bo Nix is the best quarterback in the SEC. That's that's hey, a, mark that's my a, words. That's a bold statement. Because Who would you take he, over him? I mean, you could. I'm, I'm arguing what I saw from the Mississippi State quarterback over him right now. I'm, I'm arguing what I saw from Trask. Um, you know, there's. I'm not saying that this guy's not good or anything, but let me tell you, he's got one target that he's be able to get the, the ball to this week, and if he can't get it to that target. And I think Kirby knows who that is, and that's number 18, Seth Williams. That guy had all the touchdowns against Kentucky from Bo Nix on, on Saturday. Um, so you take that asset away. You make them one-dimensional, which is exactly what George is going to George is going to make Auburn one-dimensional. Kentucky did it last week. Auburn only had nine rushing yards in the game. Um, George did that same thing last year, made Bo Nix have to throw the ball 30-plus times, and I think that's not what Auburn really wants to do. you, know, you got to be able to run the ball. This Georgia defense is too stout. So regardless of quarterback situation, I think, you know, yes, I think JT Daniels is going to come in and what's going to be the biggest question mark is can he move around in the pocket with that knee? Um, you know, like I said, I think he could have Saturday really if he had to. It's really weird to me that he gets cleared two days after. But I think if he can move around in the pocket and he has that he has some chemistry, then they're gonna they're gonna be wanting to sling it. I think this this offensive coordinator at Georgia Tom Duncan, our new our new guys. He he's the kind of guy. He came from Oklahoma State. I don't want to throw the ball a lot, so it's going to be interesting to see. But I I, I know historically, uh, Kirby Smart. He he dominates Gus Malzahn. So it's gonna. I I, I would love to bet with you if you if you're wanting to run it or anything because I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident about this game this Saturday. Hey, I've already locked in Auburn plus seven, and so I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that one. I'm not going to lie, but hey, we'll see what yeah. happens. I think JT Daniels is the real deal. I just think it's a week or two too soon. I just think he's thrown in at the wrong time. Okay, but you got to think about it. Last year, what happened with Georgia and Auburn? And Jake Fromm was not performing at quarterback last year like he he was supposed to. And we he he barely he got us a win at Auburn, and he was playing not that great. JT Daniels, if you give me a little something like that, even just a throat or two there here there. We're gonna we're gonna win because we're not giving up more. I'll I'll mark my words. We're not giving up more than fourteen or seven seventeen points. We won't give up more than seventeen this week. Hey, I, I like under forty five too in that game already. So I mean, I'm not necessarily arguing with that one. I think it's I think it's gonna be a low scoring, grounded pound kind of game. I mean, hey, Bo Nix played in that game as a freshman. He's back as a sophomore now. J, this is J T Daniels' first experience as SEC football. It ain't that BSEC out in the Pac twelve where they're throwing the ball around eighty five times. So. It's going to be welcome to the SEC in the biggest way for him this weekend. It's going to be hey, – I'm, I'm excited. I'll tell, I'll tell you that much for this big – for the game. Um, yeah, I would definitely under, but um, it's going to be 
be a good matchup. So I know I know you you're, you're wanting to move on, but if you want to talk about it another time this week, I'd love to give a more in depth argument about the game. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I want to have my notes more prepared. We'll definitely go back in on this later this week. Um, next game up, or the last topic up on our uh, list for the week is. Look, Miami beat the crap out of my Knowles. I'm not even ashamed to say it. I came in the season with no expectations. It's going to take Norvell a while to fix things because obviously because Taggart couldn't recruit worth a damn, so he could left the cover pretty bare for us. But do you think Miami's the real deal, or is this just your typical Miami looks good and they lose when they play a real team? Well, it's a little bit of both. I'm I'm impressed with the, the year one to, to jump from their head coach out there in Miami. Um, it's that's Manny Diaz, right? Is his name correct? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, Manny the, Diaz. Yeah, that's that's right, Manny Diaz. Um, from year one to year two, I feel like he's really made some progress. Team, considering how bad they were last year, and I think all that has to do is bringing in Derek Derek King at quarterback. I think that's really the the main reason that they're having so much success. But you also have to think about Miami's schedule in the ACC. They're not playing these teams aren't aren't going to be as good as, you know, an SEC schedule. So I think Miami is going to be a great team this year. I know they have Clemson matched up with them this Saturday, and I think that they're not that real yet. But I think that they could win um, out of 11 games. I think they could win 9 or 10 this year, and I think they will. Yeah, Miami actually has a bye week this week, and then they play Clemson. Uh, right, it's next Saturday. My bad. Yeah, hey, trust me, I did the same thing on Monday. I was like, who's Miami's next opponent? I was like, oh, wait, they play Cle-. I was like, whoa, that's a game this weekend? And then I realized the same thing, too, trust me. But, um, you know, I actually think Miami is a different team. Look, last year, I can't remember their offensive coordinator's name, but he was horrible. They chased him out of town. They bring in Rhett Lashley. And then, I mean, De'Aaron King, in my opinion, I think he's going to be like a Russell Wilson. You know, he's going to get drafted in the third fourth round and he's going to be in the right situation he's going to thrive in the nfl i mean this kid can run the ball and in today's nfl quarterbacks who can run like that you know he's got that kyler murray like shifty side to side speed i personally think Derek king's a top three to five quarterback in the entire ncaa i think he's a legitimate heisman contender and i think he's taking miami to the next level you know when you look at this team you bring in these four and five stars everywhere and plugging them in. Now you bring in De'Aaron King and you bring in Rhett Lashley, a guy from SMU, you know, who's familiar with that spread offense and spreads everything out and puts King in the best situation for him to succeed. I think this is the perfect situation for Miami. And honestly, I think this is probably the best team that they've had in the last 10 to 15 years. And I know that sounds kind of crazy to say, considering the fact they have that one loss team or that team that lost to Pittsburgh and then got annihilated by Clemson in the ACC championship. But that team read by Rosario, I thought was garbage when they had Mark Rick. So I think that this is the best Miami team they've had in a long time. And, you know, they might not beat Clemson, but I think they'll definitely take care of Notre Dame and they'll have a big game against UNC as well late in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. I don't think they're quite, you know, there yet to Clemson's, to Clemson's okay. talent because of what I was done there. I mean, they just got – four and five star on top of four and five star there. And I don't think it's, it's too early for Miami to, to be back to the U like uh, the old days, but I do think that they're going to win nine or 10. I do like what you said about Derek King. I do think he is right now. Um, I know it's early on, but he could end up if he continues to play this way and he puts up some numbers, he could end up in New York for the Heisman uh, potentially. I know that's crazy to say with all the other other quarterbacks out there, like with Trevor Lawrence and, and even, you know, you can throw KJ Costello in there right now if you wanted to, but um, I, but he's what he's doing out there in, in Miami is great, and 
I think he is going to get drafted. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what I don't have much um, a really a graft or a, a say on him as to how his talent's going to translate in the NFL. But if he definitely booms like he, he could, um, he has some good talent. Depending on the team that drafts him, he could do something in the NFL because I'm starting to see these guys like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, guys who aren't as tall but are quick and got a good strong arm but can still move around and are side shifty like you said they're those kind of guys are becoming the new topic nfl quarterback so i i agree with you yeah you know it's crazy to see miami finally have something at quarterback after last year when they shuffled through about i think it was four three or four different quarterbacks they never really found the answer there but that's about all i got left for this podcast you got anything else you want to say before we get up out of here I don't know. Yeah, we we that was a that was a good one. Um, I you know I love love talking about some some good old NBA and college football, and I feel like we had a lot of more differing opinions this time. It was more interesting. Maybe that's why it went went a little longer. But yeah, always good to get on here and talk to you about some sports. And you know, want to I'll take you up on going later this week or maybe next week and talk about the dogs and happening in college football this weekend. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm all here for it. I'm definitely here for it. But I appreciate you coming on once again to help me out, Kobe. Of course. Uh, good talking to you, and we'll talk again soon. Yep, sounds good. We appreciate everyone who tuned into the show, and I'll talk to you all again soon. Peace.